In a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes cost much more than dollars, we bring you expertise from around the world to ensure that everyone goes home safe every day. The internationally acclaimed Oil & Gas HSE podcast starts now with your host, Russell Stewart. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of OGGN HSE podcast, sponsored by KnowledgeVine, the leader in human performance improvement training and technologies. KnowledgeVine is committed to reducing the frequency and severity of workplace errors by helping organizations leverage technology to easily create a sustainable safety culture. KnowledgeVine, the evolution of human performance. Learn more at KnowledgeVine.com. Okay, so today my guest on the show is Rory Maley. Rory, thanks for coming on. Thanks, Russell. Okay, well, what folks don't know yet, Rory, we actually sat down and recorded a conversation last week, and yet it won't be live until, and this is still December of 2022, the conversation you and I had won't be live until January of 2023. We talked about some general safety topics and that sort of thing. One of the things was you've been in the Utah Army National Guard for what, 15 years now? Yeah, I believe I'm in my 15th year. Okay. And so what's your rank? You're a unit commander, is that right? Yeah, I'm a captain and a unit commander for a regional training institute here in the Utah Army National Guard. Okay. So just a little teaser for when we when that conversation comes out in January. One of the things that impressed me, and in fact, I even put it in the title, this Army's Leadership Doctrinal Field Manual, their definition of leadership, the process of influencing people by providing purpose, direction, and motivation while operating to accomplish the mission and improve the organization. I don't know, Roy, how good of a job we did discussing that, but that's a mouthful right there, people. That ought to be a good teaser for everybody to listen when this thing comes out next month. <laughs> I agree. But to re- yeah, the reason we're talking right now, if production goes according to schedule, everybody should be listening to this the week between Sunday, which is Christmas, and Sunday, which is, is New Year's. And we always try to have a special holiday edition. Last year, we had a little fun. We did some Christmas trivia. In fact, Rory, let's, and folks, we didn't script this, okay? So I'm not going to put Rory on the spot. If he happens to know the answers to any of these questions, Rory, you can jump right in if you want to. But a <laughs> little Christmas trivia here. Which real life person is Santa Claus based on? Oh, would that be St. Nicholas? That would be the Christian Bishop, St. Nicholas. That was a real life person. Very good. Okay. And besides St. Nick, what's the most popular name for Santa Claus? Oh, yeah. I think it would be Santa Claus or Chris Kringle. I'll tell you what, folks, I wasn't going to put him on the spot like this, but that's pretty good. That's right, Chris Kringle. And that, by the way, by the way, Roy, that's why his favorite potato chips are Chris Pringles. So, <laughs> since this show is international in scope, which country started the tradition of putting up a Christmas tree? Ooh, that one I wouldn't know. Yeah, that was actually Germany. Germany. Yeah. And by the way, do you know how Christmas trees get ready for a night out? I don't. They spruce up. <laughs> Actually, I do have more. When you have grandkids, you have all kinds of these silly things. But getting past some of those and getting to some of the other real 
Christmas trivia. The movie Miracle on 34th Street is based on a real-life department store. Do you know what that is? I don't know that one. Macy's. Okay. And in the movie It's a Wonderful Life, what happens every time a bell rings? (sighs) I don't know that one either. An angel gets his wings. Okay. So, now, and what's the best-selling Christmas song ever? Would that be Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer? You know, that would have been my guess, too. But believe it or not, it is White Christmas by Bing Crosby. Oh. And I did not look this up. This is information from last year. I didn't re-look this up. But at one time, White Christmas was the had sold more singles of any record in the history of the record industry. And I don't know if it still holds that or not. I didn't understand that. Of course, everybody knows Santa's favorite singer is not Bing Crosby, it's Elfish Presley. And, <laughs> and of course, he doesn't have a white Christmas, he has a blue Christmas. And all this silliness actually has a point, Rory, because that's what we want to talk about. Is we want to talk about blue Christmas. I know, I think it was two years ago, if I remember correctly, I had a little special holiday edition about depression and the holiday blues and, and all that sort of thing. But the truth of the matter is, while we, you know, we've had hopefully a little silly fun here and, and that's what the holidays are all about. And I've been to two Christmas parties in the last two evenings and everybody's having a good time. But the truth of the matter is this particular time of the year is when they have to get more personnel to staff suicide crisis hotlines than any other time of the year. You've got some real experience in this area. And so, Rory, I'm going to kind of just turn it over to you and let you run with it here. Well, I want to first start out by saying that I am not a licensed clinical professional. I don't have education or I've got some experience with youth in crisis. I used to be a counselor in a juvenile detention center. I also worked as a line staff at a group home for juveniles in crisis. But I'm not a professional in that regard. I'm a concerned professional in the construction and oil and gas industry. Some of the professionals that I can think of would be Cal Bayer. He's a vice president of workforce risk and worker well-being at Holmes Murphy and Associates. He's helping lead the conversation in suicide prevention and construction. Sally Spencer Thomas is a psychologist and international mental health and suicide prevention impact entrepreneur. And then Alex Yannicone, she's the director of education and community programs at the Helen and Arthur E. Johnson Depression Center in Colorado. Those are just a few. I mean, there's people across the country that are leading the discussion in worker well-being, human well-being, suicide prevention. And I got my start in talking about it in about 2020 at the height of the COVID crisis. I was asked to join a task force in Utah to help create a task force to help raise awareness about suicide construction specifically and how to find resources. By the way, Roy, let me back up here. I forgot to introduce you. I guess I'm forgetting that the other podcast hasn't aired yet. You're the director of EHS for a company called BHI, right? Correct. Okay. And so BHI is a construction company, service company, Yep, we're a general contractor. We serve markets in oil and gas, mining, infrastructure, telecommunication, wireless communication. We do civil and excavation work. We do quite a bit. 
Okay, so you've got a heavy emphasis in oil and gas and also in mining. And you're an ASP? Correct, an associate safety professional. And a CHST? Uh Uh-huh, a construction health and safety technician. Okay, so while you've spent all the last few minutes saying how you're not an expert in this field, actually, I haven't talked to you off air and and knowing some of the things that you've done, you've got quite a lot of expertise in, in, in this subject that we're talking about you know, holiday blues, depression, and suicide prevention. So tell us about that. So I'm currently going to school for safety, security, and emergency management. And I've done a lot of research. A lot of my research topics have been on this topic of suicide prevention. And it's something that's very personal to me. And one thing that's been my aim and goal is to help normalize the conversation. Suicide has a stigma to it. It's a taboo topic. It's still something that A lot of people are uncomfortable talking about, and I want to help give people permission to talk about that topic. In 2009, while I was in my undergraduate program, I almost took my life, and somebody intervened. It was late at night. Somebody intervened at just the right time, or else I wouldn't be here. And so it's something I didn't talk about for years because I didn't feel like I had that permission to talk about it. I didn't, you know, I kind of felt ashamed of it. And I know that a lot of people feel the same way. They don't want to be vulnerable, but that's how we combat something like this is that we become vulnerable to become less vulnerable, if that makes sense. Okay. So if you don't mind, and again, folks, this really is unscripted. As a matter of fact, what you don't know, Rory and I talked about this before we started recording. He actually sent me a lot of a tremendous amount of research information. One was a paper that he had done. I'm having technical issues this morning and I can't print any of this stuff out. So I'm kind of flying blind by the seat of my pants here. But you said you were in your, this is when you were still in your under, you're still an undergraduate. So, and you almost took your own life. You've been in the military for f- 15 years. I know that that's a, PTSD and suicide is a big deal in the military. Did that have anything to do with your situation or was it totally different? No, mine was totally different. And we have to understand that crisis hits people in different ways. I've not deployed in my 15 years. There was an opportunity that I did, but I ended up, my daughter being born with severe medical complications, put that deployment to a halt. So before it even got started. So mine actually, I'm in my master's program. My undergraduate was back in about 2009. It was actually during the Christmas holiday. I remember just everybody else went home and I stayed at my small college town working at that youth home that I had referenced and just feeling alone, which is one of the key indicators and having a lot of, you know, personal doubt and hate and other things associated with it. Crisis hits people so differently, it's hard to pin it down. In the military, we do have a high number of soldiers and service members that, because of deployment and other reasons, they face the same you know, PTSD and suicidal thoughts and tendencies, and we're combating that as well in that industry. So I serve a couple of industries that have high numbers with high suicide rates. Yeah, the military is right up there, but what I did not know, and you told me, the oil and gas and mining industries, like number two? Yep. I'm going to read this off. They're actually number one. It's from the Suicide Rates by Industry and Occupation National Violent Death Reporting System for 32 states in 2016. This was a study conducted or paper conducted in 2020. 
with those 2016 results. And the CDC, because of this, said that there's opportunities, opportunities exist for targeted and broad scale prevention. And it says compared with rates in the total study population, suicide rates were significantly higher in five major industry groups, mining, quarrying, and oil and gas extraction for males. Construction is number two for males. Other services like automotive repair, agriculture, forestry, fishing, and hunting, and then transportation and warehouse were all significantly higher. Six major occupation groups, the highest of those is construction and extraction for both males and females. And so in those two industries, we have the highest suicide rates of any industry and occupation. So you just try to be aware of that. And so that's where you people who deal with this sort of stuff all the time, does it help to know that so you can focus on those areas or are there reasons why those industries happen to be the highest? Yeah. If you think about it, and I'm going to go over to the CSDZ's website, they have a worker well-being and suicide prevention page. And there are several factors that lead into this in our industries, physical health conditions, fatigue, obesity, high blood pressure, cardiovascular disease, musculoskeletal disorders, chronic pain, sleep disorders, just those physical conditions alone, you can equate to some of the work that we do. Behavioral health conditions, stress and anxiety. This study also referenced that there is a high rate among construction managers. If you think about the stress and anxiety that come along with some of the work that we do, you throw in depression, heavy binge drinking, tobacco use, substance misuse, and those are things that we're fighting in the industries anyway. And then other stressors that people have, financial pressures, seasonal cyclical work. Sometimes we're working, sometimes we're off. The weather's got us this time. Overtime, fatigue from rotating day and night shifts, pressure of perfectionism, because we are a high quality group in our industries. We, we don't want to just deliver a product. We want to deliver the best product and in a timely manner. And then you got budget production, schedules, quality and safety, job pressures. And I think the biggest one for us, Russell, is we are in a tough man industry. You've got that tough worker mentality that, you know, the manliness, the stoic behavior that we don't want to talk about our feelings that definitely feeds into, and that, and that's also on the military side of things. We have the same type of stressors that we're under, but the fact that we just don't want to talk about our feelings and we've been raised to not talk about our feelings, we don't want to ask for help and we don't want people to think that we're weak. So those are some of the things that really add into the reason why people get into crisis and when crisis, I think the big thing to note is I don't think people want to die. They just want the pain to stop. Right. And they don't know how. And that's the only way they know how, or that's all they can figure out. huh? When you get into crisis, that seems like the best and only option, right? Cause sometimes you feel like you're a burden to others or sometimes you feel you're completely alone. And really, sometimes the only thing that you can think of is ending it. You know, you've mentioned this twice now, the feeling alone part. And some of the things in society now with technology and this sort of thing, we don't have the kind of, what word should I use? Maybe we don't have the kind of, I guess this is a church word maybe, but it's called fellowship. We don't have the kind of social, personal interaction in things like church or softball leagues or (laughs) those sort of things. 
that can be a real problem, right? Oh, absolutely. I remember one of the most effective suicide prevention trainings I received from a colonel when I was first in the military. He came to our unit and for 45 minutes, he talked about everything except for suicide prevention. In fact, he didn't mention that word until the very end. He talked about friendship. He talked about community. He shared a story. He came home from work and his daughter was supposed to be having a slumber party with her friends. And he walked in and he said it was odd because it was completely quiet. And for somebody who is supposed to be having a slumber party with a bunch of teenage girls. And he walked past the living room and saw several girls and they were all on their phones and not talking. And he walked in and pulled his daughter out and said, what are you doing? Your best friends in there across the room and you're sitting here texting. And she says, dad, and shows him the phone, me and her texting. And so he went and he dumped out the fruit basket and he went and gathered up all the girls phone. If anybody needs to contact their parents, you can leave your ringer on and this will be on the counter. You're not going to be texting in my house. And he said it took about 15 minutes before he started hearing the giggling and the talking. And then they wanted to watch a movie and then they got popcorn and they started socializing. And he said that that was one of the biggest things that he saw that was our problem is that we isolate ourselves with the technology that we have. I think that's just part of the factor. I think that's a big part of the factor in today's society is how easy it is to isolate ourselves. Even when we're talking to our best friends through our cell phones, that story had an impact on me, you know, inclusion, communicating, really having those personal interactions. So I was trying to find the word and I said fellowship and you use the word community. That's actually very important as far as prevention goes. How do you help someone to find that community and to kind of let the guard down that tough guy philosophy mentality you were talking about. You know, I'm, and this doesn't have to be the case all the time, but I'm open again about my experience and gives people that permission to talk about mental health. I find opportunities when I can to talk about mental health. So people know that they can come to me, that I'm somebody safe to talk to. But one of the things is looking at things that you can do, things that you have in common. And my last company that I worked at, I always enjoyed, it was a vacuum excavation company. They used vac trucks to excavate and find underground utilities. And there was a group that they would always put a basketball net on the side of their truck. And they would, after work, they would, before they got cleaned up, they'd play basketball with each other. They'd shoot hoops off the side of the truck. And when they weren't doing that, they went to the hotel gym together. They found, you know, and they were going out to dinner together. We spend more time with each other than we do our own families. And if you're not fostering those relationships that, again, that can easily isolate you. Not everybody's the same. Not everybody wants to engage in the same activities. But one thing that we can do, and, and I know that right now that the talk is suicide prevention, right? How to get somebody from crisis to a professional so that they have the help that they need. But I think the greater discussion that we can talk about and that I think that we will start talking about in the near future is resiliency. How to build a personal resiliency amid all of those stressors that I previously mentioned. How to gain those relationships, how to balance work life, how to have a, a good work life balance, how to 
take my hobbies on the road with me when I'm traveling, how to be engaged. So I think we're going to see a lot of training in both suicide prevention and resiliency. And I think that that's going to do a lot for us. And I think part of resiliency also is how to manage finances, how to manage and balance life at home when I'm on the road, how to communicate with my family, how to communicate with my friends, how to keep those relationships open. So I think a lot of it's going to be training. And then sometimes really it's up to the employee how engaged they're going to be and what they're going to get from that training. Well, Roy, that's some great information. I think I told you before actually after we had our recording last week and after we stopped the recording and we're talking off air, you started talking to me about all this and I was really fascinated by it. And we talk a lot about safety on this show. That's our motto, making sure everyone comes home safe. And of course the environment's a big subject these days. And as I told you, I don't think, you know, it's an HSE show, health, safety, and the environment. And we don't always talk enough about health because that also has a tremendous amount to do with safety. So I was very fascinated to hear that you were involved in this and to hear your story. And it just, the timing just happened to work out for this special holiday edition. So I I really appreciate you coming on the show again. Really appreciate your willingness and openness to talk about this subject because it is something that is of particular significance during this time of the year. And if I may add on that, Russell. Yeah, I was going to let you add whatever you want to add before we close out here. On the topic of safety, you know, we want to do everything we can as safety practitioners and professionals to get people home safe at the end of the day, right? Without injury, without incident. But like my good friend, Karen Salerno said, we also want people to return safely the next morning right? We want them to come back and we want them to come back in just the same or better condition than when they left. And businesses can help with that. You know, if they can start looking and seeing what their benefit packages include, if it includes stuff to help with mental health and mental health medication. And if they take a look at their employee, their EAPs, their employee programs, assistance programs, if they can look at other things to help bring the topic of mental health into the discussion. When I came back after I presented at a conference, the CEO said, oh, I actually want to know about the suicide prevention training that was given at that conference that you attended. And so they brought the discussion up and they wanted to say, what can we do as a company to help people know that they're not alone, to help people know that they have resources. So if companies can start looking into those and knowing that we're looking at total worker health, that's the big conversation right there. What does total worker health look like? And if you look up that phrase, you'll find a lot of good resources. So yeah, that's the gist of it. We want people to know that it's not just during work hours. We want them to know that we care about them and we want them to come back the next morning. Oh, that's great. That's great. And we talk about that in safety too. You should take some of the things you learn about being safe at work and you can apply those at home and it'll help both you and your family and allow you to come back to work and keep supporting your family. I think you sent me some resources that are available online. I'll post those in the show notes. And of course, as always, post your LinkedIn contact information in the show notes. I know you just took the time to talk to me last week, and now we're doing this for the special edition. So thanks again, Roy, for coming on the show. Thanks for having me.
as always, thanks to all of you out there for listening. Please tell your friends to listen. Post us on LinkedIn and your other social media. Please leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or we now have a review link in the show notes. We'd really appreciate it if you'd take some time to leave us a review on there. And I think this has actually been maybe one of the best shows of the year. And we look forward to more shows next year. So tune in again next week for another episode of Knowledge Vines Oil and Gas HSE podcast. Knowledge Vine is your dependable partner for full service human performance and safety consulting. Knowledge Vine, error reduction that works. Discover more about Knowledge Vine by finding in the show notes our website link and other contact information, or you can simply reach out to me on LinkedIn, and we'll see you next time. Tune in next week for another engaging episode of the Oil & Gas HSE podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.